Airlines Confidential with Ben Baldanza and Chris Chimes is made possible with the support of Pratt & Whitney, whose GTF engines are redefining aviation. Learn more at pwgtf.com. TA Connections, the industry's most comprehensive airline lodging and crew logistics program. taconnections.com. Clear, a leader in touchless travel. Learn more at clearme.com slash airlines. And Seabury Capital Group, global reach, global scale. seaburycapital.com. We also welcome your business's support. Info at airlinesconfidential.com. Yes, you're at the right place. This is Airlines Confidential, and I'm Chris Chimes, and I hope you're having a good week. And I'm Ben Baldanza. Thanks for tuning in. Chris, let's get started on some news, and then we're going to talk about airline financial issues with our guest, Mike Cox of Seabury Capital. Chris, take the mic. We're going to run a quick lap around the aviation newsroom and then talk more in depth with our guests. So, Ben, let's try another lightning round approach uh, for this week's show. First topic, United's deal for a new generation of supersonic aircraft. What do you think? Very exciting announcement, obviously. Very flashy with the boom aircraft, the supersonic airplane that isn't yet certified and nobody knows what it's really going to cost and what its operating characteristics are going to be like. But they're promising a supersonic sort of experience with all modern technology. So they're not reproducing the old Concorde, but presumably it's going to be a much more efficient plane. My concern about this, Chris, though, is it's at most a niche airplane. And the reason I say niche is all long-haul airplanes require lots of business people to fly on them to be profitable. We used to joke at Spirit that time isn't money if all you have is time. <laughs> and, and by that, what we meant is the price-sensitive customer will happily trade time for savings. So there aren't really any price conscious people or those who would be incented to take another trip based on price who are going to say, I'll pay a lot more or even any more to get there a few hours faster. But business people would. For business people, time is money. And so the question is, how many routes are there that there are going to be enough people one of the crazy things about this business, Chris, as you well know, is you can't buy a plane just for in season. When you buy the plane, you've got it 365 days a year, and you've got the employees to fly and maintain that plane 365 days a year. So if you don't have revenues 365 days a year, they become a challenge. And that's why I think this plane is at most going to be kind of a niche. That said, good for United for getting out there, sending a message that we're here for the long term and we believe in technology. In that sense, good for United. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I thought it was a brilliantly uh, orchestrated announcement and they got great consumer and financial press. Um, it's been interesting to watch, though, as the news cycled over the next 48 hours, a lot of aviation trade press and the like started saying, wait a minute, you know, there's no there there. They, there's no firm commitment. There's no money put up. There's no aircraft yet. So there's starting to be some skeptical head scratching about what exactly did United announce? And 
Were they just helping Boom kind of leverage a, a first-in kind of customer to make more news? Um, obviously, they probably got some real favorable potential terms should they buy these aircraft down the road. But it'll be worth watching over the next few weeks kind of what people think about all this. I agree. I was wondering if another airline was going to sort of prank United and say that they've made a deal for the first sort of Star Trek transporter technology (laughs) when it's available. (laughs) So along those lines, you kind of uh, walked into my next question uh, while we're flying at the speed of sound. uh, What are you thinking about this pending U.S. government report about UFOs. A fair number of these alleged sightings are reported by commercial airline pilots, and the federal government's dedicated some uh, resource to following all these and, and expects a report to be issued over the next week or two, I think. I've been fascinated by this story. You know, the universe is so huge that I almost think it's narcissistic to think that there couldn't be intelligent life somewhere else in the universe. So I'll put it out there that I believe that the earth is not the only place that has intelligent life. But I will also say, if there's other intelligent life that's smart enough and has the technology advanced far enough to travel the light years of distance to come to the earth, why wouldn't they say hello? Or why wouldn't they find some way to communicate? The thought that they would just sort of come and hover and then fly off is just crazy to me. So that says to me that I believe they are UFOs in the sense that they're unidentified right now, but I'm guessing almost everything we've seen on this can be explained by something that was created on the earth. Because when Aliens, which may be out there, really come to the Earth. I think they're going to figure out how to communicate with us. So are you assuming that there's intelligent life on Earth? <laughs> well, that's a great question. <laughs> so, some days I'm not, I'm not so sure, but um, uh, I, I, like you, I'm fascinated by all these reports and uh, we'll be curious as to what uh, this uh, federal government report says. Third up, uh, after our great conversation last week with Ken Quinn about the Belarus hijacking of a Ryanair aircraft, late last week, IATA came out and criticized EU aviation safety regulators for banning overflights of Belarus. Reaction? Well, it certainly affects all airlines that fly in that area for a number of routings. So what they've done is they've They've really taken an extreme reaction to say, let's be super protectionist and don't even fly over that airspace. But that's forcing airlines to fly widely circuitous routes in some cases. That increases the fuel burn. It increases the crew time. It increases the, it increases the connectivity time. So it really affects the schedules of airlines that use that airspace for a number of routings. So I can understand why IATA would say this is an overreaction. That said, IATA is taking sort of the most cautious view that they could is let's not even take the risk that this could happen again. But in the meantime, it's really throwing some airlines for a loop, those that need that airspace. So I'm going to be somewhat of a contrarian here. IATA has just played into the Belarus and Russian hands here by showing that there's not a unified point of view about how to how to react to this event from now two weeks ago. So 
I, I personally was disappointed. I get the operational issues. I get from an airline point of view why you need that airspace. But um, it's basically emboldening another kind of an event because there won't be a, a consensus approach to how to deal with it. So I think it was um, too soon, frankly, and um, I was a little disappointed. I agree with you, Chris. And, you know, there have been other situations in the world like this. For a while, Qatar Airlines could not fly over Saudi Arabia, and that really affected their flight times. You'd look at flights from where I live, Washington, D.C., to the Middle East, and, you know, Qatar's flights were 45 minutes longer than Emirates flying the same plane. And like, why is that happening? Oh, that's why they can't fly that way, right? And so it's not like this is the only time that airspace has been controlled. Obviously, there were probably times no airline was flying over Iraq space or airspace or Somalian airspace or pick your, you know, struggle in the world space. But in this case, I agree with you. By cutting off that travel, it does sort of embolden people who might want to do things like this to say, this is a way we can really upset the world. I, I just think I should have waited till we knew more facts, until there was a uh, full report about the incident before they jumped on this. Airlines Confidential will be right back with our conversation with Mike Cox from Seabury Capital, the specialty finance and investment banking firm that boasts a 25-year track record of advising key clients in aviation, aerospace, and defense, maritime, financial services, and technologies. Every week, we talk about the expertise of Seabury Capital, which has been one of our sponsors going back to our very first year in the air. We thought it was time to bring some of that expertise direct to our listeners. Mike Cox is Senior Managing Director of Seabury Securities. He's been inside the industry holding financial leadership positions at Continental Airlines, and then for the past 20 plus years, he's been an advisor to airlines and other aviation interests. Mike, it seems like yesterday when you were camping out in my uh, office space with the team at US Airways, but it's hard to believe that's been almost 20 years since that restructuring started. First, Mike, welcome. Uh, we're glad you're here. And then also, if you could elaborate a bit more on some of the restructuring and other kinds of projects you've been working on of late and why an airline or an investor group hires Seabury. Sure. Well, thank you both for having me on. I'm glad to be part of this. We've been very busy over the last year, particularly with the um, pandemic and the the coronavirus, which is, of course, as everyone knows, impacted this industry immensely. We have been very busy around the world, and with the lack of travel ability, we've actually been doing it from our homes or home offices. And we are currently advising Avianca in their Chapter 11 proceeding. We're advising the Diplender in Aero Mexico in their Chapter 11 proceeding. We just completed, I'm uh, happy to announce, uh, the court restructuring of Norwegian Airlines Air Shuttle in both the Norway proceeding as well as the Irish proceeding. And we are currently advising um, Philippine Airlines in their out-of-court restructuring. And so, and, and then a variety of other projects we did for Iceland Air, for um, the South African government, and several other smaller projects around the world. Well, I heard the word restructuring there a lot, Mike, and I imagine that is the uh, word of the day for airlines right about now. Tell us your view of global aviation. Where are we now as an industry and what do the next few years look like to you? Well, most of our clients are, you know, concerned. They, you know, they're 
the if you look at the global capacity right now versus versus pre-pandemic it's down by approximately 50% still leisure travel is returning the question is when does the business traveler come back and at what yield will the business traveler come back at and we don't see a, a recovery capacity wise until you know, two or three years out, it's going to be, I, we think it's going to be difficult around the world. There'll be pockets of success. There'll be pockets of bankruptcy, but it's going to be a tough road to hoe. And we see actually as many as five to 7,000 surplus aircraft over the next um, the next several years. How do you think this this situation with the pandemic has been different from like post 9-11 with regard to the business, Mike? Well, certainly uh, September 11th was was largely a United States and European impact. This has been global. Every airline around the world, big, small, government-owned, privately-owned, charter, it has been globally affecting every single airline around the world. And that's the biggest difference. We've seen pockets of issues like this with SARS in 2003. Certainly September 11th was big. There was the H1N1 virus in Mexico several years ago, but those were largely regional, whereas this is completely global. So is there a different kind of skill set you've had to take on uh, with this era of restructuring and financial uh, management versus other kinds of opportunities uh, you've been working on over the past decade? Well, it's certainly, you know, liquidity, cash is king is a, is a saying in those of us that practice in the restructuring business. And you've seen a lot of airlines raise cash. The capital markets have been very good to the airlines. Government support has been very good to the airline, to many airlines, not all. And so most of the airlines are now sitting and figure, figuring out what is the revenue profile of my customers and what cost base do I need to be at in order to um, have revenues exceed costs? Well, Mike, in the U.S., we've talked on this podcast about how low-cost carriers have been especially aggressive. Do you see this sector gaining more influence here and maybe even around the world than they already have? I agree with you. The the low-cost sector or the ultra-low-cost sector have become very aggressive, and I think you will see aggressiveness on the continued aggressiveness on their part and the carriers that are more reliant on business travelers are going to have to react accordingly, which means, as I said earlier, what is your revenue profile and what cost base do you need or can you sustain in order to deal with the revenue profile that exists? Gary Kelly was just quoted as saying he doesn't expect the business traveler to return in numbers like we saw a couple of years ago for as many as 10 years. And that is a big, assuming that were to come to to fruition, that is going to be a big challenge for the traditional full service carriers. Well, Mike, go with that for a minute. Is it possible for an airline like an American or a United or a Delta or an airline around the world that looks like those carriers to exist with a massive reduction in revenue from business travelers 
Would they have to get smaller? Is it possible for them to change their cost structure? What would you advise an airline like that to do if, in fact, Gary Kelly's right? The carriers that we advise, whether big, small, full service or not full service, is to manage your costs in accordance with your revenue profile. If the revenue profile is changing, it means you are going to have to reduce your costs by whatever tools and means you you have at your disposal, whether that is reducing the fleet, regaging the fleet, densification is a, is a hot topic these days, things like that to, to get your costs in line with the new revenue profile. We'll be back with Mike in a moment, but Travel Alliance and Hotel Connections have come together to become TA Connections. TA Connections provides an intelligent, integrated, flexible suite of applications that allow airlines to deploy an industry-leading mix of augmentation and automations tools, configurable and personalized to the airline's unique needs. Learn more at taconnections.com. TA Connections is a fleet core company. They're the world's leading provider of technology and services for crew and passenger logistics management. So, Mike, uh, let's switch it up a bit and uh, talk about aircraft prices because that's one of your areas of expertise. You know, there's a lot of aircraft on the ground. There's an assumption there's a lot of cheap aircraft on the ground. And so, therefore, with cheap used aircraft, that might put pressure on new aircraft prices. So, where are we right now with regard to aircraft pricing in general? Well, the wide bodies are the ones that are out of favor right now because as everyone who follows aviation knows that international traffic is is anemic right now, particularly, you know, the transatlantic and transpacific and and so wide bodies are incredibly under pressure right now. We have seen transactions of um you know, not that old of 787s on a sub 500,000 a month basis. And of course, you have to study the credit quality of the carrier that's getting them and things like that. But wide body aircraft in particular are under tremendous pressure. And we expect that to continue for the foreseeable future. Narrow bodies, it's a, it's a little more of a mixed bag. Certainly the midsize, um, say the A321 Certainly the LR is an in-favor aircraft right now. And then depending on the vintage and, and the, the needs of the carriers, the 320 and the 737 NGs and Maxes are under less pressure than certainly the wide bodies. But there, as you point out, Chris, there are a number of aircraft on the ground. Several of the bankrupt carriers that are using the the court processes, whether in the U.S. or others around the world, have returned and or rejected a number of aircraft that that puts additional pressure on pricing. You know, Mike, I agree with you about the pressure on the wide body airplanes, long haul business traffic is probably the longest pole in the tent in terms of traffic coming back. It's the some of the easiest to replace with video, or I should say the easiest for a CFO to say, we can save a lot more money if you do this by video. What do you think that means, not only for the pricing of wide body airplanes, but just the manufacturing and the relative number of those planes versus single aisle airplanes? You know, I think you see a lot of carriers putting single aisle or 
planning on it in the even in the transatlantic. I mean, it's been out there for years. Um, Continental United and others have um, have put seven five sevens and that size of aircraft, even some seven three sevens, in the nearer transatlantic. And I think that trend will continue long into the future. So the twin aisles aircraft are the ones that are under the more are under more pressure than the single aisle. And the twin aisle aircraft, you know, the 380 is gone or will be gone in the longer term, uh, depending on what Emirates does. But you see a number of carriers uh, dropping that, the 747, uh, similar similar pressure. And so then it's it's what happens with the, the 787, the 777, the, um, and the 330 family. And as I mentioned, we're seeing incredibly low pricing on 330s as well as um, 787s. And I think that will continue for the foreseeable future. Well, and what's not said in all that is, you know, what are the implications long-term for pilot careers and their income path? Because obviously, as you move up to a larger aircraft, you make more money. And if there's fewer opportunities for those aircraft, there's fewer jobs in a big aircraft with those wage rates. I agree completely, Chris. It's There will be, pre- you know, we've talked about pressure on the airlines, but also the suppliers, the employees, they're continues to be a lot of pressures. You know, the baby boomers are aging out of, um, of the cockpit. And it wasn't too long ago that there was, you know, a talk of a pilot shortage, but that has flipped completely in the last 15, 18 months. Mike, speaking of airplanes, uh, Ben and I talked earlier in the show, but I'm interested in your, your opinion. Uh, what do you think about United's announcement to buy these boom supersonic aircraft? Well, it's, um, you know, it's a flashy announcement, just like they announced earlier this year, they were going to possibly buy 200 EVE VTOL aircraft from Archer Aviation. My guess is that this will be a niche that may or may not happen. I suspect that United has obtained um, perhaps a low cost or free option on both of these aircraft and um, certification, operating economics, mission um, guarantees and all of that when and if they are certified and ready for manufacture will be key to what United does. Historically, as you guys know, there's the supersonic um, demand has been business-oriented from New York, Washington to London, Paris, probably California to Tokyo, and other business markets would command it. But back to the original commentary we had of when will the business traveler return. But these are flashy announcements that there will be some demand for supersonic. But I'm sure United cut themselves a very good deal on this. Well, let's go from airplanes to general balance sheet, Mike. U.S. airlines have much higher debt levels today because of all the liquidity they raised to stay alive with very little revenue over the last year and a half. Do you think this is a long-term problem for the industry or will they be able to buy down that debt pretty quickly once things start coming back? Well, when they come back, you, you know, airlines are, are once they hit um, – break even and profitability, they can generate a lot of cash flows as the U.S. net carriers have proven prior to 2020. And 
the balance sheets were rapidly improving. Um, Southwest was investment grade and Delta was knocking on the door if it didn't, it may have achieved it, if I remember correctly. And when the airlines return to profitability and strong cash flows, they can pay down the debt. But the issue here will be when will that happen and when will the business traveler return for those network carriers so that the that $10,000 round trip from New York to London um, investment banker who doesn't think twice about paying that, when does that individual, you know, times many individuals return such that they can generate those strong cash flows to pay down the debt? So Mike, uh, last question here. It's uh, halftime of the airline Super Bowl. You got the finance team in the locker room for a pep talk. What are you going to tell them to go out and get done (laughs) to win the game here? Well, it's a balancing act. Um, Maintain strong liquidity positions so that there's no competitive incursions in your, your turf. At the same time, make sure the cost structure is in line with what our revenue generating capability is. That would be the pep talk. Mike, this has been terrific. You've got such a great background in restructuring and helping airlines and understanding the way airplane prices work and such. We not only appreciate Seabury's sponsorship of the show, but we especially appreciate that someone like you could come on, give all of our listeners this kind of insight. Thank you very much for joining Airlines Confidential. And thank you for having me, Ben and Chris. Appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. We'll be right back. The Airlines Confidential podcast is now available on Apple, Google, iHeart, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Pandora, Spotify, TuneIn, and many more. Use your favorite podcasting app with just one click at airlinesconfidential.com. Welcome back to Airlines Confidential. Clear makes travel safer and easier. Become a member of Clear and you'll enjoy frictionless journeys when you use Clear's home to gate feature, which lets you know exactly the best time to leave for the airport. Plus, Clear's signature experience helps you move seamlessly through airport security. Where will you go? Get back out there with Clear. And we've got a special offer for Airlines Confidential listeners. Visit clearme.com and you'll receive two months free, including up to three of your family members. Just use promo code Airlines Confidential, valid through July 1st, 2021. That's clearme.com, promo code Airlines Confidential. We've got more Airlines Confidential, including listener questions, but I want to thank Mike Cox for taking our questions. I hope our listeners enjoyed the conversation. You know, I worked with Mike years ago at Continental Airlines. He was a smart guy then, and he's only gotten smarter. I agree, Ben. Uh, Enjoy the conversation. Uh, I learned something from every one of our guests, and thanks again to Mike. Ben, as far as questions from our listeners, our first question is from Mary Ann from Sarasota, Florida, and it shows that we do have listeners, and they're listening. Good morning, Chris and Ben. I just listened to your podcast discussing Breeze's first flight and their business model. I always enjoy your perspective on these subjects. You mentioned my employer's Silver Airways, and I would be interested to hear your views on Silver and our routes. Blue skies and tailwind skies. Well, I think silver is a great airline. You know, in the U.S., it's easy for 
many of us in the industry to think that there's these, you know, big airlines we've all heard of, and then there are regional airlines that feed those airlines. But there are these independent regionals out there too. And Silver's one of them. And they're based in Florida, where I used to live when I worked at Spirit. So I knew some of the people at Silver and used to see their planes all the time. They fly to lots of small places in the Caribbean. They fly to some smaller cities in Florida. You know, they have a relationship with both United Airlines and JetBlue to exchange frequent flyers. They also have interline relationships with lots of carriers. So what they've done is they've created a really nice niche for themselves, I think, by serving markets no one else can really profitably serve. They have the right size planes and cost structure to do that, but also becoming friends with a lot of the people who would otherwise be their competitors. So I think they're a smart airline, and I think you're working for a good company there, Marianne. Yeah, I agree. I think the the thing that we've all got to be watching, especially I'm sure the Silver Airways executives are, is like there's really nowhere to hide right now, and so Silver's kind of flown under the radar. You know, we've seen Breeze come in after going after them a bit with their startup from Tampa to Charleston as a route that they fly, and so. They're going to have to up their game a bit, and not that they weren't trying hard and working hard before, but I just think these smaller markets are going to become more and more competitive as more airlines chase traffic. You know, I agree with that, Chris. And Silver did do something really smart, I think, which was buying the little airline in Puerto Rico called Seaborn, and that gave them sort of another base with some smaller Caribbean markets from there. So sort of spreading their idea in a way that doesn't make them totally dependent on Florida, although Florida is still probably uniquely important to them. So I agree with you, absolutely. Well, Airlines Confidential welcomes your feedback, questions, and comments. Our phone number where you can leave a voicemail is 202-964-0177, and we'll play your voice on the podcast. Or you can email us at questions at airlinesconfidential.com or visit our website at airlinesconfidential.com and follow the prompts. We're available on all the major podcast platforms, and you can ask Amazon Alexa or Google Assist to just turn us on. Say, play the Airlines Confidential Podcast and you'll hear the latest show. Chris, our next listener question is from Joe in Tampa. I'll let you take the first crack at this since you've worked in the tech sector. Joe writes, hi guys, love the show. I watched a video online where Ed Bastian was asked what keeps him up all night and his response was cybersecurity. How vulnerable are aircraft to a cyber attack, Chris? Well, Joe, thanks for the question. You know, I think in today's world, every company is a technology company. I think every company has to look at themselves as a technology company. I think Ed's comments reflect that, that he understands how technology is integral to how Delta operates, and they've got to be thinking about all things uh, technology-based, including cybersecurity. Um, I was reading a a paper from Raytheon Intelligence and Space. Obviously, they've got products to sell, but they had an interesting perspective. You know, I think most of the attacks against airlines have focused on their systems, trying to secure data from customers and employees. We've had, you know, some incidents of flights grounded because of hackers and ransomware kinds of attacks. Um, I think where Joe was trying to go with this question was specifically as it relates to aircraft. That's obviously 
a concern, especially with some of the things we've seen over the past couple of years with regard to electrical systems and other big infrastructure things being attacked by hackers. And so an airliner is a big infrastructure thing. And so is that open to possible penetration and impact, especially with so many electronics now flying that aircraft? You know, I think there's a layered system right now to protect. Obviously, you got to stay smarter than the bad guys. So I think that's a really interesting question that we probably ought to look to a guest to come in and help educate our listeners and you and I, Ben, about what are the issues as it relates to aircraft operations? I agree with that, Chris. You know, when I think of cybersecurity in an airline context, obviously you think about something happened to the airplanes themselves, but also like you said, on the ground, there's lots of issues. You know, if cybersecurity can shut down a pipeline, it could shut down air traffic control at some point, right? And so it is something to worry about. A real smart, or at least I thought smart, security officer at an airline said to me once that we're beyond thinking that this problem is how do we stop attacks? And the right way to think about this is how quickly can we identify and then mitigate an attack? And I think that's an interesting mindset that the, that the solution isn't stop anything. It's identify it quickly when it happens so you can figure out what to do about it. Yeah, no, I think that's right, Ben. And as you were talking, I, mean, I think the the other thing that underscores the importance of this is the elevation of the CIO position in major airlines has been very significant. I mean, you know, those are seen as you know really kind of a top tier C suite kind of role now, and uh, I think that's going to be the way it's just going to be for a long time. I agree, and also the. I don't want to say emergence because they've been there for a while, but the increase in importance of the chief information security officer, which in some cases is not the same as the CIO. And some airlines, almost like you see in finance with sort of an audit function, that they exist sort of separate in a way that the security person is looking at the CIO's team and the whole airline, whereas the CIO's running the IT. It's it's real interesting how this is affecting organizational change. I agree with you. Yep. Joe, thanks for the question. We'll need to stay on that topic. Uh, finer wine is next, but for a no-wine aircraft engine, check out Pratt & Whitney's GTF engines, which are redefining aviation with up to 20% lower fuel burn, 50% fewer regulated emissions, and 75% smaller noise footprint. GTF engines have no comparison. This revolutionary geared turbofan engine is allowing airlines and airports to open new routes and fly more people farther with less fuel and much lower noise. Learn more at pwgtf.com. Ben, you can take this finer wine from Jennifer in Chicago because I could barely read it without laughing, so I probably couldn't do justice in a response. She's complaining about United Airlines. We were on a United flight, and the flight attendant accused my friend of vaping in the bathroom. She didn't have evidence, didn't bother to look for any, didn't check. We offered to be searched because we had just gone through TSA. They separated us from friends and family. I just wanted to talk with the accuser, and they also kicked me off the plane. And I kept asking them why I was being kicked off the plane, even though I wasn't the one that was being accused of vaping. They stated because we were on the same ticket. Then when I contacted customer service, they lied and said I was I had elected to leave the plane on my own. 
I can't imagine why you laughed at this, Chris. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, every time we get a question like this or a finer wine, there's always, you know, things we don't know about the situation. But let me tell a quick story here, Chris. My wife was a school principal for many years. And when she would be faced with a situation of talking to a parent of a student who had done something really wrong, um, once in a while, the parent would really defend the child and say, that couldn't be my child. And my wife's response was always, well, who has the incentive to lie here? Your child or the school? (laughs) And... So I think about this and I thought about that when I read this complaint, which is why on earth would United Airlines accuse someone of vaping in the bathroom unless they did have some evidence? And why would they kick someone off an airplane, lose that revenue, potentially face media scrutiny and things like that if they didn't really do something really wrong? So I think there is a lot missing from this complaint. I think this is a total whine. And I think Jennifer knows exactly what her friend did and exactly why both of them got kicked off the airplane. Yeah, they must have been smoking something when they wrote this complaint. So that was a bad, bad joke. Sorry. No, I agree. Wine, wine, wine. Let's move on. Well, my shout out is sort of related, although not really. I've been really frustrated and disappointed, Chris, in so far this year, we've seen an enormous increase in in in-flight bad behavior by customers. The latest report I saw said that there have been 2,500 incidents already this year, many, many more than we had in the total years of 2020, 2019, 2018. And I've been wondering what's why this has been happening. Is it only because of masks? Is it because of pandemic fatigue? Is it, what is it? But my shout out goes to all the airlines who are maintaining a zero tolerance policy and actually putting people on banned flying lists. Because I think this behavior has to stop on airplanes. It's unsafe. It's dangerous. And so the best thing we can do is get people who aren't going to follow the rules, keep them off the airplanes. So my shout out goes to the airlines who've taken a hardline approach on this, have banned over 3,000 people this year, and they've banned them because they don't want them back on the airplanes. And so my shout out goes to the airlines who are doing that and to keep doing it because we're in a bad trend so far this year, and it'd be nice to end the year on an upswing this way. I'm with you on that, and especially the flight attendants who are the frontline uh, uh, enforcers of all this uh, in flight. So hats off to them. Uh, my closing shout out is to Haley Gentry, who was named last week as the first woman to lead the Charlotte Douglas International Airport. Haley's been with the Charlotte Aviation Department for more than 30 years, starting as an intern in 1991. And Ben, you and I have both uh, always valued uh, what the Charlotte uh, airport has been able to do. The growth and success of that airport and its continued focus on being the low-cost place to operate has driven so much economic activity and success in the broader Charlotte region. So congrats to Haley and to the airport. That's a huge congratulations to Haley. That's a great shout out, Chris. She's terrific. 
Happy to say she's not the first woman to lead any airport, but certainly the first to lead Charlotte. And that's great for that airport. It's a really, really good call by that airport. And with that, we're going to close this down. Thanks for listening to this week's Airlines Confidential. Have a great week ahead. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is produced by Mass Media. Info at massmedia.net.